This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Our audience just had the rare privilege of seeing the, uh, on the big screen The Dragon and the Wolf, the seventh season finale, just a week before the premiere airs, next Sunday on the 14th. I do want to give a huge thank you to HBO, who made a special digital uh, 4K print for us for this. So let's go right into Westeros. Please welcome the director who resurrected Jon Snow, obliterated House Frey, and let the army of the dead in the 70 kingdom, kingdoms, Jeremy Potsdam. <laughs> Wow, nice reception. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we all know everybody involved in Game of Thrones has to keep their lips sealed, yes. that they have any shred of information about the next season. Mm. So I swear by the old gods and the new, <laughs> I will not ask a question that brings you dishonor or tries to trap you into any information. Thank you. So the first question, <laughs> will you confirm right now <laughs> that Podrick wins the Iron Throne? Fan favorite. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, uh, you know, I talked a little in the green room. We actually watched it together. You know, people watch a lot of TV now on iPhones, iPads, TV sets. What was it like being able to see the episode with a live audience in the theater? Oh, it's fantastic. I love hearing the reaction. So thank you for reacting. Um, (laughs) It's great to see the humor land. It's great to see the things that are meant to be moving. You could hear a pin drop, which was great. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's an unusual situation, and I love it. So I'm glad you were here to see it. It's fun, fun to watch. Yeah, the first thing that struck us was the sound of the dragon when they landed in the pit, the surround sound yeah. moving around. Uh, so you directed, you know, six, list, list some of your credits, Six Feet Under, True Detective, The Tudors, Headsmaid's Tales, and many others. So what is different about directing a Game of Thrones episode as compared to anything else? Game of Thrones is unlike anything else. Um, I think it's unlike anything else to watch as a viewer. And I think to make it, it's an entirely different experience. It's, every episode is really like making a movie. And uh, you know, we typically will block shoot two episodes at a time. So it's two hours. So it really is like a movie. And uh, you know, it's very expansive in terms of the production. So we're shooting in three, con- three or four countries, depending. Um, I was shooting in, uh, chiefly in North, Northern Ireland and Belfast, but also shooting in Spain and Croatia. Um, the episode where the ice dragon is created was shot in Iceland, in part. So, uh, and in, you know, in the past seasons, they've shot in Morocco and uh, many other places as well. So it's, you know, that's not typical for a TV show to be shooting all over the place. And the schedule is really expansive. Uh, it takes about six months of the director's time to work, to prep, to shoot, and to edit. Um, the shows are in post-production for another six months after that with all the visual effects. Um, it's a really complex process, and you know what you're being tasked with as a director is something that's quite unusual in that it's such an enormous ensemble. The storytelling is so huge in scope. Um, it's yeah, it's really different. You know, uh, sometimes like when I was doing the show, I was longing for like a show where it's like two people in a room talking. <laughs> and, <laughs> going back to my six feet under days, but uh, but then when you do that, it's like oh, I kind of miss not having eight thousand people and dragons and you know all that stuff. So yeah, I mean it's it's a it's an unbelievable pleasure to do the show because it's so unique and um, and the things that make it complicated and difficult are also the things that make it great. Let's go back to the beginning, uh, pre-production. What was your reaction when you read the, uh, the, the script of Dragon and the Wolf? 
Uh, well, many reactions. Uh, well, of course, the wall coming down, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I thought people are going to lose with these guys. <laughs> um, so there was that. And then, but, you know, on, and, and, so, and also it's the question of, like, oh, my, how are we going to do that? I mean, yeah. that's such a big moment, and it really has to land, you know, in a, in a very amazing and impressive way. Um, and so there's that. And then um, The Dragon Pit was really something when I read it. It was a very unusual thing for this show because it's basically, like, by, when you take, get to the end of the dragon pit, like the very end of that sequence when Cersei comes back and says she'll join everybody, she's lying, but <laughs> she comes back. Um, that's the length of a normal episode. Like that, it's mm. almost an entire episode that's like the lead up to the dragon pit and the dragon pit. And then you have all that stuff that comes after. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's a massive episode. And that dra- the, just the stuff in the dragon pit is about, you know, 30 or 40 pages of script, which is highly unusual. Um, because even though there's lots of you know unusual things that are sort of things that break up the dialogue, like the dragon arri- Danny arriving on dragon and the the white coming out and, and all that stuff, you, it's still largely a like a play. It's like a thirty mm-hmm. or forty minute play with all the characters in the show, except for the few that are left in Winterfell. And um, so it's a it's a it's a very unusual TV thing to do a scene that's kind of like that, and it's a very unusual thing for Game of Thrones to do something like that. So when I read that, I was like. That is a long time for people to be like just talking, and there's a lot of stuff that has to be serviced in that scene because their characters haven't seen each other in you know many many episodes, many seasons. Some characters I've never met before; they only know each other by reputation. Um, there's there's so much story to be told, and a lot of it is nonverbal too. Mm-hmm. So, as a filmmaker, you have to make sure that everything lands, like every moment, every beat, every relationship is serviced, every every story point is made, everything is told in the, in the way that it needs to be told. Um, but it's, also, but it, it's a very complex kind of thing to do in, in a way that when you read it on the page, seems like that you know, if not treated properly, it could actually be not so interesting to watch. Um, but you know, I felt very strongly with this cast and with you know, the, for the audience, I think, who knows the show and has been following it really closely, mm-hmm. there's so many interesting, subtle moments through the whole thing that it would carry through. But you know, we we had to treat this as its own singular kind of thing that's that has really was never really done on the show. So, you know, we did rehearse it like a play. We for the first time ever, I think, in the history of the show, we got almost the entire cast together in Belfast, um, in pre, in pre production, and we staged it like a play. And we, you know, went through it in great detail. So we went through like whatever questions the actors would have about different moments, and we talked about everybody's relationship to everybody else, and what it would mean to be in this place, and what it would mean for you to see this person for the first time, and you know, all those kinds of things. We got all that stuff sort of discussed and worked through, and um, and just the blocking of how everybody's going to sit and how far away they were going to be from each other. Part of the the challenge of this thing too is that we had this location which we had found which is this amazing um, coliseum in Spain, uh, which had never been used as a, in a film shoot before. And we had to, you know, the place was so massive that, you know, you couldn't dwarf the action in the space. You had to somehow find a way that the, the set that we were building within that large location mm-hmm. with the canopies and the chairs and all this stuff was going to, it was going to feel appropriate to the scale of that space, but also not have people so far apart from each other that they couldn't, you know, interact and speak. They wouldn't have to scream at each other across this yawning, you know, space. <laughs> and so we had to, we really had to like test the exact like dimension, like how far each chair should be from each other, how we should build these platforms, how big they should be, you know, all those kinds of things. And so, and we rehearsed all that, and we moved chairs around and made sure everybody was happy with everything, and it all worked. And you know, all the other bits of business with you know the the, the White Walker and all these other things, and 
you know, just sort of figuring all that stuff out was sort of a big thing. So it was a, a gigantic rehearsal that we did in Belfast, um, which the, the, I have to say the cast really loved because they, they never really had an opportunity to do that before in anything. And I think they were all a bit daunted when they read the script. They were like, oh my God, it's, like, it's so dense and layered and there's so much happening you know, subtextually in the scene. And so, you know, they, they were really happy to have that time to work through all that stuff but without the pressure of shooting. You don't have that clock ticking constantly. Yeah, let's talk about some of those beats. Uh, let's start with Bronn and Tyrion, yeah. the leading up to it. Both characters are gruff and reluctant to voice their, mm-hmm. you know, the feelings and affection. However, they do share a sweet, uh, subtle moment. Mm-hmm. How did you ensure that they, those two characters remained heartfelt while maintaining the character's kind of surliness? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you're dealing with such fine actors, and I think they know their history so well in the show. And, you know, I think they've always had that kind of bantery relationship that's, you know, there's conflict, but there's also a kind of mutual appreciation. And, and they both have a sense of humor, which has been evident through the whole series. So I think, you know, they, they know how to play it. The challenge in something like this is when, you know, they're doing it on the move. You know, we mm-hmm. a lot, that entire first part of the sequence is this you know, gigantic train of people that's walking towards the dragon pit. And it's also, you know, the, the cart and the, you know, the, with the box and, and soldiers and Dothraki and everything. You know, there's everything, this, like, this gigantic thing, train that has to move. And, so, and they're at the front of it. But you know, every time you do a take, you've got to back up the whole train and then <laughs> they come back again. And, and, uh, and we were shooting quite long takes, too, with those things. So it's a lot of walking and a lot of talk, like huffing and puffing and trying not to do that too much as you're walking and talking and just showing all the subtle things you need to show. And, um, you know, so it was, we, I think the way we broke it down was we did like a day of all the walking stuff because it was okay. quite substantial. And the, and the first meeting at the beginning when they arrive at the dragon pit and meet, they meet Braun and and Brienne. Um, and I did like with Brienne and the Hound. Yes. Because they don't, you know, Bronn can tell his stories like he always does. Yeah. They were both like, almost completely nonverbal, their, mm-hmm. their affection for each other. So yeah. was there anything you had special with those two to get that, or they just kind of had that chemistry? And they, they definitely have that chemistry. And uh, um, they're both also such fine actors. That I mean, with, with those kind of things, like we, we always have a conversation about how much you want to show and how much not to show, how much to hold back, how much to reveal, how much are you showing to the other person or not, or what's, what's just for the audience to see or what's, right. what's being shared. So we have all those kinds of conversations. But, you know, they're, they're, such, they're all such beautiful actors. You know, they all bring those moments and really bring them to life. I love the script line. There's a rare, in the script, which we uh, gave the excerpt to, a rare smile from the hound, mm-hmm. which is obviously against his character. Uh, yeah. But it's... So speaking of the Hound, how mm-hmm. fun was it to set up, hopefully, the inevitable season eight Clegane Bowl between the Hound and the Mountain? <laughs> We're hoping. What do I know? Uh, <laughs> um, it was a really fun moment, actually. But, but again, it's one of those things that when you read it on the page, you think, oh, that's a great moment, but they're holding up this gigantic summit, right? And so like, bef- like you're, there's all this anticipation for this thing happening, and before anybody gets a word out, you, you have this kind of like weird interaction. And so from, as a director, it's always like, well, is that, that going to work? Like, does that make, you know, in front of Cersei, he's going to walk up and do that whole thing. And, but I think the actors make it work, you know, and I think the writers are so clever too that they, there, was, there were times when I would be like, hmm, I'm not really sure about that. But then you put it up on its feet and you get the actors doing it and it really works. And it becomes a great, very memorable moment, in fact. But, you but, have- but, it, but it has to be staged too. Like that's the thing. Like in, in rehearsal, you find the staging of it and, how that all happens. So, was it, you know, we, there's a rule that I like to live, always arrive fashionably late, and Daenerys certainly believes yes. in that. Yeah. Uh, but you have kind of, you have a lot of actors in a smaller set. How did you balance with working with the visual effects artist because you had the dragon coming? Yes. Trying not to overshadow, make the scene too complicated, but actually feel, you know, the dragon and the... 
well, that moment has to be a moment. I mean, her that her arrival is such a uh, you know. It, I don't want to say the the words, but it's a, it's a definitely an F you to um, Cersei, <laughs> and I think that you know it has to be like a really big moment, her arrival on the dragon. So those kind of things are all storyboarded ahead of time. There's much discussion about them, um, and uh, typically in, a, in anything like that, whether it's a uh, the arrival of the dragon or the the wall coming down, those are sequences that are you know, I will first storyboard, and, and I, I do very bad drawings. And I'll do my bad drawings, then I'll work with a proper storyboard artist who will take my bad drawings and make them into better drawings that can be shared with other people. And then they'll be shown to the producers, Dan and David, who are creators of the show, and they'll have some notes often, and like, it would be great if we did this, for example, or the visual effects people have an idea. Like I think it was their idea that before we see anything, we just see the shadow go across the walls of the, of the Coliseum. I think that, that was a notion that came from the VFX people. Um, and, but anyway, so we'll work out all those kind of fine details of what the sequence will ultimately be. And once we have a storyboard of that, then we'll do an animatic or a sort of like a film storyboard, which becomes a 3D animation thing mm-hmm. uh, that, we will, that everybody will know what the sequence is and what are the live action parts of it that we shoot and what gets created later. Uh, and then, you know, it's like, how do we get Danny off the dragon? How do we get her into the Coliseum? And all those kind of things are very technical, um, but we figure them out once we kind of know... Like we just imagine it in our imaginations, and then we figure out practically how to do it. I did like, though, but in the moment of you have this grand moment, I just I actually really like the subtle moments of cutting to Danny looking at Cersei. I mean, Tyrion looking at Cersei, just to yes. study the reactions right. you know, of Jamie and those kind of little quiet, you know, very powerful moments, but right. quiet moments. Well, I think those are, to me, those are the hallmark moments of the show. And this is what's so, what I think is so great about Game of Thrones is that you ne- the, the, the technical stuff or the fantasy elements or the visual effectsy parts of it never overshadow the story you're actually telling, which is all about character, character, character. And so if you didn't have those moments of like, what does this mean, the way she's arriving like that? What does it mean to Tyrion? What does it mean to Cersei? Why, like, we're, we're doing this for a reason. She's landing on, you know, it's not just because it looks great, but we're doing it because it's really the, a, a point that Danny is making to Cersei and that has to land. And then Tyrion, his... It, when I when we have all these actors there, you know, in that moment, when she, and I, and we I'm, and I know that we had a discussion with every single one of those actors, like what is this what is this arrival by Danny mean to you? Mm-hmm. If we cut to you at this moment, what's happening? You know, it's this, these are not all scripted. These are things we have to discuss with everybody who's present. And it was clear to me in the editing that you know that Tyrion has a moment where, just to see how Cersei's going to react to this arrival of Danny. And there are, other, there are other people that we cut to. All those are discussed moments with the actors in terms of what, you know, what are you clocking in this moment? What is the most important thing to you when this happens? And, and then editorially, we, we can sort of put the scene together, which has now texture and color and flavor and, and tells a deeper story than it's just somebody arriving on a dragon. It's, it's all about how it impacts everybody else and what they're thinking about in that moment. Well, that's good. Daenerys and Cersei are definitely one of the two most powerful people in the show. Uh, and yeah, actually, I want to highlight the meeting scene. What, what did you want to? Just, what was important to you to highlight the individual power and in their confrontation in that scene? Well, it's two queens. You know, you got two queens together, and <laughs> stuff's going to happen. <laughs> and um, I think these are like mortal enemies who are being brought together in a kind of very artificial construct, uh, not because they want to be in the same space together, but they need to be because there's a common cause. And I think a, there, there should be a huge amount of tension within that. And I think that we set up quite early in that scene that if the summit goes bad, it can really hit the fan. Mm-hmm. You know, like if the consequences of this going bad 
there are, are enormous uh, in two ways. So they can, it can go bad, and, every, and Cersei can decide to just kill everybody there because she's got the place surrounded, and they all come in without any you know, army backup. Um, or it can go bad in terms of the whole summit falls apart, and then there's nobody to fight the army of the dead. And then it's bad for everybody. So the, the, the summit has to go well, right? And so the, the thing is, are these two queens going to be able to get it together and overcome whatever the issues are between them for the greater you know, good? Um, so to me, the, the, the entire scene is fraught you know, with that perspective. Yeah, and I, of course, Cersei asked Jon Snow not to take sides. Mm-hmm. And for once, we're hoping it's Stark... Lie. Will you please <laughs> lie? <laughs> yeah. well, what were the discussions with Kit Harrington? Because he's, he is putting the realm in jeopardy, but yes. you want to make sure he keeps the audience feeling, you know, understanding what he did. But it's absolutely consistent with his character, I think, yeah. because he is he's a character who has a very strong sense of morality, and he doesn't lie. And so this would be the first time, I think, if he ever did lie, that, that, he, that he did. So I think that... Um, like, there was no discussion with Kit about, like, do you believe this or not buy it? It's, of course, that's what he's going to do. But then, of course, that also has implications for everybody else who's involved in this thing, and that's what makes it so interesting. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it's... So it's a lot of working with the other actors reacting to it. Yes. Yeah, in that sense, yeah, because we know Jon Snow would do that. Yes, they know, but I think that they're all hoping against... Well, first of all, not everybody knows that he's done this. That's, that's the right, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, I think it's a revelation to other people who, who are his friends. who They don't know that he's bent the knee to, to Daenerys at this point. So for them, it's just like, like oh, my God, moment, because it's, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> this does lead to probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole entire series. We've been waiting years for Tyrion and Cersei to face off. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Tyrion is one of the smartest people on the show, and Cersei's one of the most cunning yeah. in a smart and different way. What is, what is it about Peter Dinklage and Lena Headey and what they bring to their performances that make them, their nuanced characters, so mm-hmm. believable and fierce? I love them so much as, as actors and as human beings, and they're so great together, and I think that moment is something that, if you're a fan of the show, that's been anticipated for such a long time, and the writers did not disappoint. I think they wrote such an incredible scene. The first time we rehearsed it, I had chills just, just in rehearsal. Just them kind of just going through the paces of it. I was just like, oh, my God, this scene is amazing. And so for me, when, when you have a scene like that with actors like that and the writing is so strong and it has, there's so many layers and there's so much history you know, that's being kind of um, serviced in that thing, you, it's really just a matter of, like, you know, I just have to get it on film. That's all I have to do. I just let them do their thing. It's just get out of their way. And, you know, it's, it, you know, to build in those tension moments, you have to really believe that she might have him killed, that that has to be a real possibility. Even if you, as a fan, you think, oh, no, they can't possibly kill Peter Dinklage at this point in the show. But, <laughs> but, but you should. I mean, my, my job is to trick you. <laughs> well, Tyrion, mo- Peter Dinklage pushed it when he says, then yeah. kill me right now, like finally yeah. wanting this to come to a head yeah, and willing to die for it. You should have a moment where you think, my God, is she actually going to do it? And, but, you know, she doesn't. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're both such fine actors. They both know their characters so well. And they just they bring out every single bit of juice that there is to get out of a scene like that. And there's a, there's a lot in this scene. I mean, it's, it's the entire history of these two characters and all the, the things that he's done that have, like, in her mind, destroyed her life and destroyed her children and her father and everything. And it's, you know, it's all in there. And so it's full of emotion. It's full of tension. Um, you know, and they just get every single bit of, you know, whatever there is to get out of that. Yeah, my, uh, the moment that really struck me is when uh, Cersei, which I believe is, makes sure she knew that she was pregnant. Tyrion, she knows that Tyrion, that's his vulnerability. 
Yeah, so that's a big question. Like, is she doing this by design? Is that, a, yeah. is that something that she wants him to catch, or is it something he's just catching? And, uh, you know, you can interpret that as you will. But, <laughs> but I think Peter interpreted it like you can see his face change. Like, you're oh, pregnant. He, like, oh, he gets how it, it means to him specifically, oh, yes. too. Yeah. Of course. Well, but it, it, it will cha- he knows her well enough that that will be something that will change her. Because the, the, if there's one thing that Cersei, that is her kind of like kryptonite, it's, her, it's children, right? Mm-hmm. And she, so the fact that she's going to have another child is going to have an impact on the way she makes decisions. And I think that that is probably in his, you know, although this ends up all being a ruse in the end, but I think to Tyrion, what, uh, why, how, do they, how does he end up getting her back in the dragon pit? It has to do with the fact that she's going to have a baby. And so um, clearly that discovery, even if she wanted him to discover it, in his mind is the thing that is going to make her not be the, as ruthless as she might otherwise be. Yeah, it might be great when you have such great actors, because Tyrion just said it with his face. Well, you, you, as a director, you don't have to use dialogue. Mm. And so that's what's special about that. Now, juxtapose, like, Jamie also challenges yeah. uh, Cersei to death. Yeah. How did you want to, from shooting standpoint, how did you want to contrast the two scenes with the two brothers facing off What's very death? interesting, because they're, you know, the, it, the scenes are mirror each other quite a lot. I mean, you, there's a moment where, like, it's like, is she really going to kill Tyrion? And it's like, is she really going to kill her brother? And, the other brother. <laughs> and, um, and so, like, it's a, very, it's a very similar thing in a way. So I was, you know, I was a little bit like, are they too similar, these beats? But I think that the scenes are specific enough, and her relationship with each of them is different enough, that the scenes don't feel like they're kind of like a... They feel like they're a mirror of each other, but they don't feel like they're, like, a retread of each other. Well, they Cersei's reaction was different with Jamie. She did give the... Yes. The, you know, which he did not do for Tyrion. I think she's pretty surprise. close to doing it with Jamie, actually. And, uh, but I think in the end, that is a thing about Cersei, is like family is very important to her. And like, even if she has like, you know, that she probably would wants to kill Tyrion really badly. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's that easy for her to do that. You know? and, it's, and certainly with Jamie, it's much more complicated. She really doesn't want to kill him. She, he's the only thing left. Like when he says, you know, I'm all you have left... That's true. It is really all she has left. He's the only thing. I thought it was nice having, because you directed the first episode where the map room was being painted. Yes. And the last one, it kind of shows this world's going to end, but it's fully painted. Yes. Uh, with, with the commentary to the production designer, working with them and the art for that kind of, the, the wall and the, the whole floor map. Yeah, that, was, that, that is hand-painted, that floor, by this amazing artist in Belfast. And um, and it took a long time to paint, and uh, this is an incredible job. But um, yeah, those are th- those are two big chunky scenes. The one in the first episode is is a, is a uh, again another unusually long dialogue scene, two hander, which I think it's like it's like a seven minute scene or something with just the two of them walking across that map, and and um, and we shot both of those scenes together. So we actually shot the fir- the first that that big scene in the first episode and this scene in the last episode. In the first week of shooting, actually, and which is a very interesting thing for the actors to play the their, the beginning of their arc and the end of their arc of the season in the first week of shooting before they shot all the intervening scenes. So it was that we that was a big rehearsal on those scenes too. Like we really discussed those scenes in great detail, and and the blocking of them is quite complicated too because there's in terms of blocking, there's nothing. There's no the actor can't go and pick anything up. Or do, there's nothing there. It's just a map. And it's a big open space, and especially for that first scene, it's a really tough one. To it must play. be nice for a TV director because often you don't get to be the one that sets it up or pays it off. 
yeah, that you I actually can plan it together. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, it's, but it was a lot to discuss with the actors, too, because they hadn't played all those intervening scenes. And so we had to kind of discuss everything that happened in between those and all those, all those episodes in between that hadn't been shot yet and, and see, well, where are you now and how are you here? And, you know, her, um, his sense of betrayal, at, you know, at her in this last scene is informed by all the stuff that comes before it. And, you know, so a lot of that stuff had to be kind of worked through. So, Jamie, we, we get a nice little Jamie redemption. So, actually, she's, yes. he's going to honor his pledge. Yeah. Uh, but also, I really like John, uh, Theon's redemption. Yes. Suddenly, he's back to it. You know, you know, he goes, he gets kind of forgiven by Jon Snow as much as he can do. Yeah. Uh, and how did you approach the fight scene? Because that redemption was very gritty, slightly different yeah. than the other things. What was it yeah. for you making sure that Theon's redemption would come out? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was an interesting scene. Like, I, I, it was, and then watching actually, I went like, I, I was, you know, I felt like, ooh, I was getting, I was taking those punches, you know, <laughs> watching it. It's pretty brutal, actually. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it is very satisfying because Theon has been through so much on this show, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he's every indignity that a, a human being can suffer. He's basically suffered on the show, and you know, and then you think as you're watching this, like, oh, it's happening again. Like, he's just gonna get the kicked out of him all over again and then he comes back for the first time ever and I think that his you know it's a it's a it's a redemption in terms of him kind of getting his dignity back and getting a sense of purpose back and getting some a, a reason to live back you know which is to, to kind of get to save his sister and it's very satisfying and, and um, Alfie Allen is such a beautiful actor I think and it was great to that scene with John snow which i thought was very moving and he played it very beautifully and then to have that other scene where he you know just gets to show a different color too is really great because i was very happy for him as an actor that he had those moments too. Yeah, because alfie really Theon never had warm nice scenes <laughs> throughout the whole entire no, series but I think they're, they're, until the john snow yeah not 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 you're right not in the way of being like like a kind of sensitive emotional scene but i think that there are many many times i really felt for him over the course of the show because he has suffered so, 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 so much, especially at the hands of Ramsey. And so um, I think, you know, he has really earned a lot of kind of fan affection, you know, or viewer affection, let's say, um, for all of that. And it's, and it's especially satisfying when characters like that finally get their own. Now, you started directing in season five, and Sansa and Arya's characters have evolved greatly, yeah. especially over oh, the whole entire show. But knowing how much they've been through and how do you work with uh, Sophie and Macy in the iconic Littlefinger scene? to highlight their character growth and where they finally are. Right. Um, again, that was a beautifully written scene, I think, too. So that really helped a lot. Um, it was, a lot of it was just sort of figuring out the blocking, you know, because it's, uh, I, you know, it, in the end, it ends up being this very austere, very elegant kind of blocking. And there's a slight choreography of Arya, you know, around Littlefinger. And, and um, you know, I th- that really sort of helped, I think. That, that design of that thing really helped. But... Um, you know, the, the, the biggest thing with them is that the, the mislead had to really work. You know, you had to really believe, like from that first scene with Littlefinger and Sansa, that she might actually kill her sister. You know, and she might believe that, her, that, that Arya is trying to kill her. And uh, so I think, like, for me, the important thing was that as, as long as, you tr- as we tr- are tracking this through, that we believe this might actually happen, then the turnaround becomes extremely satisfying. And then the, her turning the tables on Littlefinger and... You know, and then finding that the sisters are actually colluding, they're working together, that is like such a satisfying moment, I think. And not just them, it's actually all the Stark children are working together because now you have, um, what's his name? Bran. You got Bran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the Three-Eyed yeah. Raven, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Three-Eyed Raven, you know, that guy. 
<laughs> so you got, so you, yeah, it's like it's the first time that the three of them are really now they're really working as a family, and and that I think is very satisfying too. And it's very important to me graphically to show that like once once Littlefinger is exposed, that Arya now comes over to the table and it's the three Stark children and they're now a united front. And so mm. his Littlefinger's whole thing was about trying to be divisive and create. Um, you know, divisions between these, these kids and the family, and, and, and they've kind of gone behind his back, and they've figured everything out. Well, the next mystery of this scene is, which I was wondering when I first saw it, is, well, he's actually going to kill Littlefinger or banish him or something else. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you work with Aiden to capture? Because he had fear in his eye for the first time. <laughs> I, I think Aiden's performance in this, that scene is just so great. I mean, he's, he's been great through the entire se- uh, series, but I feel like that's probably the best performance he's ever given. And I, um, uh, I, I don't know. I just love that. I think with um, sorry, with the first part of your question was well, like we we lost. We now know that Sansa are working together. We're now wondering what they're going to do to Littlefinger. Is there a chance yes. like they might let yes. him, you know take away his power or right? Yeah. I think that you know once it was uh, that's one of those things that when you read the script, you're like, oh my god, we're actually really killing him. And that was <laughs> you know, and because he is such a major character in the show. And um, anytime any major character gets killed, it's like, a, you know, on the show, it's a big deal, right? And I think for Aiden, it was a very bittersweet thing because, you know, he made it quite far, you know, to the, <laughs> <laughs> the end of season seven. Didn't make it quite to the end. But, um, you know, so I think he felt good that he made it that long. Um, and also that he, that he went out on such a great scene. Like, like nobody yeah. could deny that, that. Like, when you read it, you're like, oh, my God, it's so satisfying. And so I think, you know, when we, you know, as we were discussing it and rehearsing it, we all felt like, okay, if it's got to happen, at least you get this amazing scene, right? Mm -hmm. And he really delivered. Like, that's what was so amazing. Like, when he, you know, he, I think he got every possible thing that you could get out of that scene, as as beautifully as it was written. And so we, you know, it was all, of course, it's very sad for everybody when you're shooting these kind of scenes. But there was also a sense of, like, this is such a fantastic scene, and he's so great in it. So how, it, it couldn't be any better. Like under those circumstances, if you got to go, go like that. You know. I did like the look with the, uh, when he's on his knees, looking up at Arya, knowing uh, what's yes. about to happen. Yes, and I, I think you know again, like you know, when you shoot these things, you know, we do like a number of takes. And but when I saw it, when he act, when I was, I was watching him do that take, and I was like, oh my god, that's it. That's the moment. You know, it's like he, there were so there's so many of those moments actually, like that he. That like little gulps that he takes, the, the little that moment of like you can't believe what's actually about to happen, or you know he he just you can I mean this is what's with really fine actors I think it's really what's happening behind their eyes like that's the brilliance of what they're doing, and you know when you have an actor who's so alive and in in the moment and you they they cease to become he's not Aiden he's Littlefinger. And everything that Littlefinger would feel in that moment, you are feeling. And I, I lose myself in it watching it as a director. I'm just like with that character. And, you know, he, he just so did that in the scene. I was like, you know, I was, I was on the verge of tears like the entire time. Yeah, I just like the follow-up with just finally seeing Arya and Sansa together and happy. Yeah. Like just home and that look when they're looking yeah. out on the thing was yeah. one of my favorite moments. Yeah, it's another, be- another beautifully written scene. And um, and also very satisfying, I think, because especially after all the stuff where in the in the episodes before you think that they're you know that they're working against each other and that you know perhaps they are you know kind of not you know one is going to try to kill the other or usurp control over the other, and then at the end when you realize actually that they've they've worked through it on, on their own somehow you know off camera, 
and uh, and that they're, they're they're sisters again. It's I think the Starks are kind of this amazing family, right? And I think they've been separated by circumstance for so long, and now they're you know it's like your favorite superheroes are back together again, <laughs> and and it's very satisfying. Now, of course, one of the biggest reveals in the entire series is Jon Snow's lineage. Yes. Now we. <laughs> Go for it. Okay, okay. He's a Targaryen. Um, you know, and, but you know, obviously the fans have been speculating and stuff like that. How did you go about making this exciting? Uh, you know, but even though many people have predicted it, what was the keys about making it dramatic using the voiceover? Well, I think the brilliance of it was having it come from Bran. You know, who's yeah. got all this kind of like inside knowledge, um, you know, three-eyed raven knowledge, and. Um, you know, I think that doing it as a montage where we're bringing together, like, Ned Stark as a young man and Lyanna Stark dying, which was from a much, much earlier episode, and, uh, and, and the wedding of, of uh, Rhaegar Targaryen, which we, have, we hadn't seen. And so, like, there's, it, we may have known a lot of, but we're really seeing it for the right. first time in this context. And it's all kind of coming together in this way that feels, still feels kind of fresh. And this whole, I think, the montage of Brand narrating it, and it's all—it's all complete news to, uh, to you know, to um, Sam. Sam, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's been a little while. And um, so, uh, yeah, I think it, it kind of—it all works because it's—it's it's sort of given a kind of cinematic, um, uh, sort of new richness, you know, in the way it's all kind of coming out and being put together and being laid out. Plus. John and Danny are getting together. So it's not just like knowing that, but it's like now that we know that, oh my God, and they're making love. So <laughs> it's like it's finding that out at the same time. Oh, and then, oh my God, and Tyrion's watching. So, <laughs> uh, and then we so, remember their aunt and nephew. So it's informed by all that stuff, which that makes it all feel kind of new. And I was just saying before that um, if, if you're interested to watch something that's quite entertaining, there, if you watch reaction videos on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> there is a bar somewhere where they, there's, a, there's fans watching that episode for the first time, and that they're, they're watching that entire sequence of Bran telling the whole story and the wedding and the and the love making, and people are freaking out, <laughs> and it's it's so much fun to watch like that whole thing. So check it out. <laughs> All right, for since the pilot, we've been saying winter is coming, the White Walkers are coming, the White Walkers are coming, so. When you actually got to read it and say, oh, I'm going to get to shoot, this is kind of cool. Did you able to enjoy it for a few moments? Or did you move into, oh, my God, i got to shoot this? Oh, both. I mean, I read it. Like, and just as a reader, I was like, oh, my God, this is like an unbelievable moment. And then the next thought is like, oh, my God, I have to film this. So, and then the other thing is that it's like, this is one of those things, there's a, there's a sort of cliche in, in filmmaking that, you know, it's going to be like one line in a script, Rome burns, and then it's like, but it's like three weeks of shooting. Of, you know, and... But so this is sort of like the wall comes down. It was like half a page, and you're like, uh, that, that's going to end up being a ten minute sequence in the show, which you have to completely create out of nothing, really. And so, I mean, it was written, but it written in very spare kind of, you know, detail. And so then it became a thing of a, a it's a thing of imagination of how you're going to approach this. And so again, we start with storyboarding and, and me thinking about it dramatically, and also with the visual effects people contribute quite a lot into this conversation that are very early stages and um, and then we sort of you know in effect, a sequence like that is really almost an animated sequence it 's ninety percent visual effects, but it is 
there are human elements there too. There's all the people on top of the wall. There's Tormund and all of that, and there's interaction between the un, the not real dragon. Sorry to, you know, tell you that the dragon's not real. And, but anyway, <laughs> but so the, but there is real interaction between the fire and the people who are on the wall and all that kind of stuff. So um, so there are real elements that we shoot, and then there's a lot of stuff that's pure visual effects. Yeah, and how you marry those things becomes the big thing. Um, but it has to all be planned, and you. You know, I storyboard it as if it's all real, like that, yeah. as, as if dragons are real, as if the wall really exists, as if everything, you know, and I, and I storyboard it, no, you know, imagining what it will look like. And then, you know, you take each frame of the storyboard, and you're like, okay, well, we could do the people on top of the wall, but everything else is a visual effect, you know, for this particular frame. And for that frame, you know, the, the fire, we can do real fire, which we turn blue, and then we have a, but there is no dragon, but there is a, a you know, there, there, there are little bits and pieces of each frame that is real. And you know we you maybe have like uh, you know 150 White Walkers, but that has to look like there's a million of them, yeah. and you know that kind of thing. So we it's how how does how many things are real, how many things become visual effects, and how do you, every frame pretty much every shot is dissected in terms of its elements. And but you start first just thinking about it as a pure imaginary thing where everything is possible, and then you... Well, for me, I mean, the key, one of the key moments for me was Tormund's reaction. We need the human yes. reaction because he did watch the dragon die. Yes. Like, so we're now connecting and not just, oh, it's a cool thing. We're seeing it, we're realizing right. there's a connection. The character, the dragon has a character well, that's that we all, did love. As I was saying with the show, it's always, there, there's always a human POV. There's always, like, somebody that we care about who's involved in a situation. There's always something that makes it more personal, you know, and mm-hmm. so it's not just... If it was just, you know, the... The, the dragon on the wall and nobody up there that we cared about that wouldn't be the same scene. All right, so we're going to circle back to an earlier episode you directed. You directed the episode where Jon Snow, for two episodes, was re- being resurrected. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the show in this magnitude, how hard was it to keep the secret from your family and friends? <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's not that hard because I just have like a blanket thing. I just don't say anything to anybody. <laughs> nobody. Like, not even like the closest people next. I, like, I don't tell anybody anything. And so if you just have, like, the, you don't, then you don't forget who you told what to. Or it's, it's just like nobody knows anything, and that's it. And, but I don't think I've ever been asked as much about something <laughs> as that before it actually happened. And um, that was a fascinating thing because it was, like, it was really a cultural moment, that yeah. thing. I don't know if you guys remember, but it was, like, it was like you know, speculation on talk shows. And it was every, you know, anybody who watched the show at all, everybody was speculating, is he dead? Is he not dead? Is he coming back? And it... Like really, it was just kind of crazy, and we were, you know, we were shooting in Croatia and Spain and Ireland, and like people all over the world were talking about it. It was not just like you know your friends, and so it was just it was such a crazy thing to be in the middle of. And of course, I knew the answer, but <laughs> but I was never going to say anything to anybody. So you you shot six episodes. What was your favorite uh, scene to shoot? If you're going back, oh, wow. or something that, you know, maybe from one of the other episodes or something like, could be a spoiler. I liked it. My favorite, one of my favorites was Tyrion with the dragons, when he releases the dragons earlier. Uh, yes, yes, Tyrion and the dragons. That, is a, that was a great scene to shoot, yeah. and Peter was so fabulous with that. Because, that, you know, he'd heard about dragons his entire life, but he's never actually, he'd never actually seen one. And then that moment where he goes down into the dragon, uh, Danny's, we called it dragon daycare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he goes down to the dragons and has that, you know, that moment of wonder with them was, was really a great sequence to shoot. There, there are so many. I, really, I couldn't even tell you because every episode had amazing things. Um, I loved uh, one of the season openers was Arya killing all the Freys. That was yep. a, that was a great <laughs> sequence. That was super. That was a, that was a scene that was not meant to be the opening scene of that episode. But when oh. we shot it, like I just knew it was like you have to start the episode with the scene because it's <laughs> such a killer scene. 
And it was, that was a no-brainer. Um, I don't know, there, there were many. So for you, I mean, Game of Thrones has, you know, a rabid fan base, cultural phenomenon, Comic-Con, all these things. How's it been for you being part of it? To kind of, you know, be able to share in this really yeah. once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience and show? It feels like a once-in-a-lifetime thing in many ways. But it's interesting because when you're, when you're directing the show, it's, you're just working. Like, it's, it's, like, you know you're working on something great and everybody's fabulous and it's, and it's a very special experience in every way. But it's like, it, you're not so aware of all the hoo-ha that's happening out there because it's like, oh, I got this, you know, I got this huge scene to shoot today and, you know, how are we going to get through that? And, you know, you're kind of, it's the work of directing and making something, doesn't matter what you're doing, is always the work of making it, you know? And it's like, how do, how do we make the scene come to life? How do we, you know, what are the logistical challenges? What are the artistic challenges? And how do you make it great? And so it's, that's what you're thinking about every day when you're making a show. Yeah. And, and, you know, very often you're like in the mud and you've got, you're wearing your worst clothes and you're, <laughs> or you're getting rained on or it's, or it's a 150 degrees or it's like whatever. It's like it's, it's especially on this show. It's like <laughs> you've got every kind of condition and every, you know, every everything. And so it's, you know, you're just, you're working. It's like, you know, instead of going to the factory every day, you go to the set and you're making something. And you only become aware just when, before the season starts to air. Right. Then all the publicity stuff kicks into gear, and it's like on magazine covers, mm-hmm. and it's like, and people start talking about it, and then it's like, wow, oh my god, there's all this interest, and like you, it, that that then it becomes like a real thing, like in terms of the public awareness. But but before that, you're, it's really just like the challenge of making the show that as as any show. But then you know, looking back on it, like now it's the end of the whole thing, mm-hmm. sadly. And it's like, yeah, it was so amazing to be a part of this thing that, that, that you guys love and that so many people love everywhere. And um, it's, it, it has a really, I think it's a very special show in the history of television, I think. And that it, you know, my mother loves the show. She would never watch a fantasy <laughs> show. Or, and it's not just because I'm directing it. She, lo- she genuinely <laughs> loves the show. And, um, and all kinds of people embrace the show because it's great storytelling and people are moved by it and they're affected by it and it, it, it kind of draws them in in a way that so few things do. And so to be a part of that, that literally, I think the, the finale was, I think, the highest rated episode of television in the history of television. And that it's kind of amazing, really. <laughs> and uh, that there was, and, and they, by the way, it shows in 140 countries on the same day. Yeah, that's... Uh... And, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of like an unbelievable thing that everybody in the world is watching this in the same moment, right? So that, that's kind of crazy, really. So I, I'm very, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of that association and equally happy that I've had the experience of working with a team of people that I've had to work with. And there is no other better team of people. And I've done many, many shows. And that it's like the most creative, the most brilliant, the most lovely group of people you could ever meet to a person and, and I'm not being Pollyannish about this I would say that the the you could not have a nicer group of actors every single one of them and uh, pure delight and professional and lovely human beings and the crew and the producers and everybody is it really is like a family and people are incredible so um, you know that's very very special that goes beyond the cultural mm-hmm. impact of the show it's really just the experience of making the show and, you know, everybody, I think, on the show feels like they're a part of something really special. You're also tested in a way that you're, for everybody, like the VFX people have never done anything that ambitious before. No. You know, everybody on the show has never done anything as ambitious as what this show is doing. But because you're dealing with people who are all, you know, kind of like the top of their game, you know, they're the top of their field, it, it, all, it all becomes possible. 
you know. And I think people know in this show that really anything's possible. And, uh, and that's very unusual, you know, where you feel like, yeah, like no matter how, how big the ask is, it could actually happen. We could actually pull this off. And that's, that's, very, spe- that's very special. All right, we do have a time for a couple of questions from the audience. When you're working with so many talented actors, um, how do you get the performance you want out of them, or how do you like help them get this performance? And how do you? What, what advice would you give to like a young director when communicating with actors in this regard? Hmm. Well, I think it really helps. You know, they, they, there's a cliche that like you know, ninety percent of directing actors is casting, and I think if you if you have great actors, you don't have to give them that much. Doesn't mean you don't give them anything, but you. You, they're already like you know seventy percent there, and then it's really just about shaping and nuance and you know, it can be. It's not just this show. It's the the same thing would apply for any show and any performer. It's really just you know giving them a suggestion of like maybe think about this or you know that thing that happened all the way back there. I think that should inform what what's happening in the scene, or um, you know let's try a different color. Let's you know that. You know, it's it's very it's a little bit of like uh, the, the secret sauce. It's hard to explain, you know, what what it is. But um, in general, I think it's it's helping an actor find something by suggestion, not by example. Like I would never say do it like this or say you know that that you don't do. Um, but I think that you by sort of talking around something, you get them to the point where they can have that discovery for themselves. And they understand what you need and what or what you're thinking, and and, that, and hopefully they think that that will work as well. Um, I would never over direct, never say too much. That gets confusing. Um, but I think you know, with with a, with a, with helpful suggestion, uh, you can get an actor close to where you want them to be. You know, and and especially actors that have a lot of tools in their tool belt, they kind of they know how to do that. So in Game of Thrones, uh, you see so many characters. Which one you feel personally most relatable? Like if you want to be one character in Game of Thrones, which one you would choose? I'm sure, I want to be anybody. But I, um, I can say that like uh, I'm kind of in awe of the young actresses in the show, like Sophie and Maisie, who are so talented and and. You know, they've grown up on the show. They were such young kids at the beginning, and they're, you know, you can you can literally see them grow up on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's, if you go back and watch the first episode again, you see how tiny they were, <laughs> and and mm-hmm. and and so talented even then. But they they've just so grown as as people, as actors, uh, you know, physically and and mature in terms of maturity and ability. I, I really, I've, I've loved, as a viewer, I've loved watching them, and as a director, I, I love working with them because they're, they're, they're so fresh and fun and gifted. It's kind of like an amazing thing to behold. Like, you know, when Maisie acts, it's like you, like, I just, I don't even know what to say. Like, it, <laughs> she's so great, and she doesn't need, she needs nothing from a director. Really. <laughs> I mean, very little. She, she's amazing, and... Um, you know, I'm kind of in awe of, of them, in a way. I mean, everybody's great on the show. They're all <clears throat> fantastic. But I think because they're so young and so, and so skilled, they're, they just kind of blow me away. Yeah. I was wondering if, in the course of filming, you've ever had any actors come into, like, close calls or dangerous situations <laughs> in, in the course of filming, whether, like, it's a dangerous set environment or they had to do something kind of extreme, if you've ever had any close calls? 
Um, nothing. We've had like a lot of you know stunts that were you know quite amazing. Uh, there's an, an amazing stunt crew on this show, and, and nobody would ever be put in real danger. It looks dangerous sometimes, <laughs> what you're looking at. But um, no, I mean, I never felt that anybody was really in danger. Um, we've had a, f- uh, I'm trying to think. There was, a, there was a, a scene on a rope bridge that we had with Euron Greyjoy when he kills oh, his man. brother in, in the rain. And we shot that at night in Belfast in a, in a quarry. And a very high rope bridge, actually. Not as high as it is in the show, but it's still quite high. And the actor playing Euron's brother uh, is elderly, and older, not elderly, but older. And, um, and, it, and that was a the very difficult thing to do. It was so cold. And that, that rain from rain machines is like, you're, it's like you're being hit by pebbles. You know, it's not like, it's not a soft, gentle rain. It's just, it's really, you know... And, to, and, you know, they're not wearing very much protection. And shooting that in the freezing cold at night, I, that, that was not easy for the actors. And they had to deliver dialogue. And he had to throw one of them over the side. And so it was like, <laughs> you know, it was... That was probably one of the more excruciating things that, I, that I've had with an actor that they had to go through. Um, but, you know, he was pretty amazingly game to do it. But it was tough. Um, things on horses are always, you know, challenging and a little scary. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it's we have an amazing horse crew. There's uh, really mm-hmm. like the Dothraki riders. Oh my god, those guys are unbelievable! Like in the beginning of that of the show, when they all come riding through the Unsullied, those guys are unbelievable. They can really ride. And in, I think in the loot train episode, which you, I'm sure you've all seen, mm-hmm. they're like standing on horses and riding and doing acrobatic stuff. That's really exceptional. But these are all professional stunt people. The actors are never put in a situation where they're really in danger. I was wondering, can you explain us the last scene with Peter Dinklage? I'm a bit confused because I can see him maybe being in love with her or seeing the alliance of a bit dangerous, but he did bring himself, those two together. So I'm, I'm confused. What is this look on his face? He doesn't know that Jon Snow is actually Targaryen yet, right? So what is it? Can you tell us? <laughs> Full disclosure, I wanted to ask the same question. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's, it's a deliberately ambiguous moment, but it is, it's partly what you said. Which, I mean, there's, it, for me, there was two things. Like, and, you know, Peter and I talked about what that moment really was, and I talked about it with the writers, too. And um, it, it, I think it's meant to be slightly ambiguous. I mean, it, it, on one level, he is in love, kind of in love with Daenerys in a way. And so there's a, that slight bit of tension in that, you know, and but then I think the most important thing really in that scene is that that there is a greater thing that everybody's that, that Tyrion his greater objective in this whole thing is to you know keep the world stable to, to like uh, prevent some horrible calamity from befalling everybody right so this thing happening with with uh, John and Danny getting together is a potential thing that could disrupt that. Because nobody knows, he doesn't know how that's going to play out. Like, what happens if they end up, like, fighting and hating each other, and then they break up, and then what happens to the alliance? What, you know, once you bring personal sexual stuff into something, anything can happen. It's loaded. You know, what happens if the two of them get together and they decide that they don't want to be in alliance with anybody else, or, if, or they don't need him anymore? Or, like, you know, who knows what can happen? The, the point is just that it's a disruption, 
It's like the two of them getting together. We don't know what that means, but it means something. And he's a smart enough tactician to know that those two getting together, there's going to be consequences one way or another. And, he, and, and for someone who likes to know how everything's going to play out, this is something he can't predict. Mm-hmm. So for, I think for me, it was always about that. It was always about, okay, the two of them are getting together. This is not an ordinary hookup. <laughs> and so it's like, <laughs> like what, what are the consequences of this going to be? And he doesn't really know. And so that is, is a bit unnerving for him to not know. What I was curious about in reunion uh, heavy episodes like this one, especially like how do you reconcile all those themes coming together at once while like still doing justice to each one of the characters? Um, well, I think that you just make sure that the history informs the scenes that because you know that anybody who's and you know fans of the show are real fans like they've really been following the show and they know where these characters are coming from, all the stuff that they've been through. So when, when people come together, those scenes have to be informed by that history. And, and the actors know that history very well, too. So it's really just a matter of, like, of me being aware of it, of the actors, you know, even though they know it, but really knowing it in that moment as they're playing it and thinking about you know, what, is the, what does this reunion moment actually mean. And it's, uh, you know, you're always playing like text and subtext. And, and these scenes, you know, it's, there's stuff that's on the page and then there's all the stuff that's underneath it. And so it's just being aware that there's, there's so much subtext in all these things, and it all is dependent upon history and knowledge of character and knowledge of backstory. And, you know, so I think we, as much as we are conscious that the fans and the viewers are really tapped into that and that these moments are, are very meaningful to them, and they, they know what every one of these moments means. Like, you, can, you, you know, nobody is going to know more than the fans know because they, they've really been following. And so you just have to make sure that you're servicing all of that, that you're that you are aware that people are bringing all this knowledge and history and that you have to, the scene has to be informed by that. So I think as long as everybody's, you know, kind of, you know, consciously thinking about those things, it'll be in there. Even if it's not in the words, it'll be in there in the, in the playing of it. And then it's me just putting the camera in the right place and making sure that you capture it. Just that simple, huh? Just that simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we always ask the same last question of our guest. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is there a film or TV show that inspired you when you were younger? Something that maybe our aspiring production or directing students should take a look at? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I was actually really inspired by mov- movies. I mean, I was a television addict as a kid, too, and I, I watched everything. You know, everything from, like, L.A. Law to All in the Family. You know, like, I just, I was kind of into network TV. There was really no cable TV at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm old. Um, so, <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, I was, I was kind of influenced by everything, but but I never really thought that I'd become a TV director. This is a, something very relatively recent in my life, and like starting from Six Feet Under, which doesn't seem that recent to you guys, but for me, I had like you know, fifteen years of being an independent feature filmmaker before I directed an episode of television, and so you know, what influenced me most were things that I watched with a view to being a, fil- a feature filmmaker, hmm. uh, but, a, but a more of the more auteurist type. I wrote and directed, my, you know, three movies, and, and, and I was very influenced by uh, growing up in Canada, which is, um, I grew up in Toronto and you know, had a lot of access for, through the Toronto Film Festival, but, and, but through the art house film world to European cinema, British cinema, and American hmm. cinema. So I, I saw a lot, and my father was Polish, and my mother is English, and you know, the mm-hmm. things that influenced, like my father loved um, Rossellini. You know, those are movies, he saw Rossellini's movies when he was a young kid. And, 
and Children of Les Enfants du Paradis, the Marcel Carnet movie, was a movie that I heard about a lot as a kid growing up, which I highly recommend. Children of Paradise, check that out. Um, and uh, so it was European cinema actually had a huge influence on me. I loved Antonioni, I loved Fellini, I loved Francois Truffaut. I, you know, th these were the movies that really kind of had a big impact on me and influenced my filmmaking to a great degree. And I think, you know, the when I fortunately, when I got into television, it's when television was really changing. And I, n I never saw a role for myself in TV because even though I appreciated L.A. Law and All in the Family, I never, ever, ever thought I would direct these kinds of shows. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really until HBO started to do The Sopranos and Six Feet Under and you know, even Sex in the City, like things that were like more provocative and more, more auteurish in a way. Like they were very much a kind of reflections of their creators. That with, they had a strong vision, these shows. Um, then I thought, oh, I, I can identify with that. I can relate to that as, a, as a, an independent filmmaker because this is television's version of independent filmmaking. It's like single point of view you know, work. You know, it's an Alan Ball show or it's, a, it's a David Chase or it's you know, whatever, David Milch. Or it's like these are people who really have a strong vision for something and that's what they're creating. And so... Um, you know, my, my interest in a tourist filmmaking is really the thing that kind of led me to these kinds of shows in a, in a strange way. And, uh, and those are the biggest influences on me, really, as opposed to other TV shows or something. Well, I mean, we, again, I want to thank HBO for letting us do this awesome event and putting it together. And thank you for coming to share your insights, especially with the community. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.